Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5 and Philippians chapter 4. Today, I'm uh, closing a series. We'll speak about it, you know, many, many, many times over the years, but I'm closing a series called Great Faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, he doesn't say that about many things. So if it's impossible to please God without faith, it must be something that's really important. So we talk about great faith and uh, we have, this is our seventh teaching on it. You can go back to the podcast and most of those are up. Uh, You can uh, go back and listen to those and just build your faith in the Lord. But today is... uh, uh, is a very important close, and it's just with a message entitled, Do Not Be Afraid, out of Mark chapter 5 and Philippians chapter 4. I, uh, you may know that we have uh, four kids. Uh, sometimes I think it's one too many, but I don't know which one to get rid of. I'm just kidding. We love them all. But uh, we have four kids, and every one of our kids uh, have played this little game. And I was playing it the other day with, uh, with my daughter Zoe, who just melts my heart and uh, it's not fair. She can ask for anything she wants, and I just, it's just hard to say no. I just love her so much. But I was uh, standing her, I stood her up on top of a table. She was standing up on top of a table, and she goes, hey, Dad, catch me. You know, she, but see, she trusts me so much that she starts to go before I see her. You know, she goes, catch me, Dad. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I run over there, and I say, do what? And she says, catch me. And I say, okay, and, you know, she'll stand back there, and she'll just fall back <laughs> and laugh. Let's do it again. I put her back up there, you know. Let's do it again. Whoa, boom, let's do it again. I say, oh, and I, I say, okay, one more time, we'll do it. And then she goes, one more time. Okay, one more time. And then six times later, she goes, one more time. Catch me again. Because, see, there's something about her just falling free into my arms uh, she really doesn't know the repercussions if I didn't catch her. I don't think she'd fall that free, you know. And I'll tell you that sometimes she will do that, or sometimes my kids would do that over the years, and there's a thought in my mind that just crosses real quick, and I think, I'd never do that with anybody for two reasons. One is I'm big. <laughs> It'd take me about eight people to catch me, I think, you know. But, uh, but number two, uh, I was raised with brothers, Okay. <laughs> They always mess with you. <laughs> always mess with you. Always, always, always. So it, it's still, still to trust people, you know, like that, like catch me. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, you know. And so, uh, uh, but sometimes, you know, I'll go through those thoughts. And it's, it's interesting how your kids will teach you those lessons about God. And I think we have those, the reasons why we compare it. Because Jesus compared so many times that we have a heavenly father. In fact, he said, when you pray, don't pray like the heathens pray or don't pray like the Gentiles pray, should I say. He said, pray, and the first thing you say is say this, our Father who art in heaven. You know why? Because I think he wants to establish prayer on relationship. It's not just established on something God has to do or something we're hoping God to do. It's established on relationship. So he said, when you pray, say this, Father, (laughs) Call, call him Father. Father, right? Let's just say it out. Father. There's something about the word father. Triggers different things in different people's. You, people. You may have had a bad father. I happen to have a good father. People talk about father wounds, and I know a lot of people have that. Um, I don't have father wounds that I know of. Um, 
And I thank God for that. I had a father who loved me with all of his heart. He wasn't perfect, but he taught me a good representation of Father God. And so when I say my father in heaven, I have a good, a good uh, idea of what the father God is like. And, and, uh, and sometimes when I've said that, you know, I, I never would fall like that. I, I, it's almost like in my heart, I just say, except with you, Lord. Except with you, Lord. Because I know that many times throughout my life, the Lord's asked me, would you trust me that way? Would you trust me that way to just say, I look back and I don't see anything except the hands of God. I don't see anything except a father who loves me and who cares about me. And he says, would you fall back into my arms? Would you fall back and do what I'm asking you to do? This morning we're talking about do not be afraid. And the text is from Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 and verse 22. If you'll uh, actually turn in your Bibles to that, to Mark chapter 5 and verse 22 or your electronic Bibles or whatever you have. And I want us to read this out loud. Let's read the first uh, three verses out loud, okay? Ready? You can look up on your screens or look at your notes. If you didn't get notes, uh, maybe um, come early next time and you'll get some. I'm just kidding. Uh, if you didn't get notes, you can just raise your hand. Somebody will get you notes, okay? Um, but I do have notes. Is any, uh, after I said that smart aleck comment, that nobody's going to want to raise their hand. But if you do need notes, somebody will get you notes, okay? Mark chapter 5 and verse 22, it tells... Uh, Mark tells this story. It says, And behold, let's read together. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him. Stop right there. Jesus went with him. Now that sounds like, oh, I love that. That's great. Jesus went with him, and we know the end of the story. Jesus is going to go heal the daughter, and it's going to be well. But let's, keep re let's read a little bit more. It says, And Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. In other words, they surrounded him. They crowded him. They were right there with him. And then a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had, suffering, and had suffered many things from many physicians, and she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now, I know our minds just shifted over to the woman who was dealing with the issue of blood and all this kind of stuff. But put your mind in the eyes of the father. The father came and he said, I have this little girl and she's just about to die. Like, I don't have a car. We walk everywhere. And I, I need you to get from your destination now over to my daughter. So Jesus said, oh, so I'll come. And Jesus started walking his way. And all of a sudden, all this crowd's around. And all of a sudden, this woman who has this flow of blood for 12 years starts talking to him and saying, and we read this in the Bible. And we're like, oh, that's really nice. But from the father's point of view, I don't know about you, when I'm in a desperate situation and I'm asking God for it, and all of a sudden, if I see God's, if I feel like God's attention's on other things, what will I do? I'll say, wait, 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 wait. My situation, you don't understand. You've had a flow of blood with, for 12 years. You can deal with it for one more year. <laughs> and that's sad. But I'm thinking, but my daughter is about to die. Would you come right now, Jesus? You could imagine the anxiety. You could imagine. Anybody ever felt like that where you've asked God for something and it seems like other things got in the way? Even you feel like God's been looking other directions and doing other things, and you wonder, is he even listening to what I'm saying, or there's other things that have come in the way? And that's, this is what this man, 
It says, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. She suffered many things from many physicians. Verse 27, when she heard Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd, touched his garment. For she said, if I shall touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Let me move down to verse uh, 34. It says, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So that's the end of that story of the woman with the issue of blood. Then we go to verse 35 okay he's just been talking to this woman the woman tells him the whole story of all the things she suffered probably about every physician in all the years and all the things that she's tried and then after she's done he says be healed and I can imagine the father saying good I'm glad now let's go get my daughter healed and right when he says be healed we read in the story in verse 35 while he was still speaking some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house. Now, you have to remember this guy's position was he was a, a leader. He was the one who would schedule people in the synagogue, a place that they would come and study um, the word and things at the time. And, and uh, so he was a leader, so he understood authority and, you know, those things. But right then, some people came from his house, someone that was helping him, and they kind of uh, uh, came right up to him and they said, I can imagine it says, while he was still speaking, Jesus some came to the ruler of the synagogue's house and said. So I want you to get this. Jesus is speaking these words to this woman, and the ruler, the people came to the ruler and said these words. So it's kind of like Jesus is in a conversation and overhears these words that these people say to Jesus. It says, while he was still speaking, someone came to the rulers from the ruler's house and said this, your daughter is dead. No words you want to hear. I just went to Jesus about it. Jesus was on his way to my house. Now people come from my house and says, my daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Imagine the response that you might have had. Imagine the response you might have had. I'll tell you, one of the things that I might do, I might blame Jesus for not hurrying up. Or is that unspiritual for me to say? I don't know. But I think I would have thought about that. Why didn't Jesus hurry up? I told him. Didn't he realize the urgency of what's happening? Didn't he realize that, come on, we need to go? Or I, I may have blamed the woman for getting in, in the way of my miracle, of my daughter. Maybe, you know. And isn't that the case that we see things that are delayed, we see things that are going on, and we want to blame God, we want to blame people, we want to blame things, we don't know what's happening. But I want you to notice, Jesus was in a conversation. The, they came and interrupted and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Listen, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. I could imagine that he's in this conversation with this woman, going through stuff. He says, your faith has made you well such. He hears these words, your daughter is dead don't trouble the teacher anymore. He stops the conversation. He looks over at the man and he says, hey, do not be afraid. Only believe. Do not be afraid. Only believe. When Jesus heard the report that was contrary to healing or to what he was going to do, really, you know, at this point, raising her from the dead, he walked over and he said, don't be afraid. Only believe. This is where we find ourselves as believers so many times in our lives. God says something to us. God moves our hearts on, about something, but our circumstance tell us something else. Can anyone relate? 
God puts a promise in your heart. God says, this is what I want for your life. And we're standing maybe in a church service, maybe alone, maybe driving in the car, and it's like light comes, and we just think, oh, God's word opened up to me. I know that I have hope. And then you walk out into life, and life hits you with a different story. Life says something different. Life says your little daughter's dead. Your life says the dream ain't going to happen. The life says, life says it was good, but maybe you did something wrong. Maybe he did something wrong. Maybe, I don't know what it was, but life speaks to you. And what did Jesus do? Immediately when he heard it, he spoke to the words. He spoke to the words and he said two things. Don't be afraid, only believe. Can we say it out? Do not be afraid, only believe. I know this might sound funny, but can you say it to yourself? Come on, somebody needs to say it to themselves this morning. Say, do not be afraid, only believe. If you feel comfortable, just point to yourself. Say, do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Verse 37 says, and he permitted, listen, Jesus said, it says about Jesus, and he permitted no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Basically, he's saying, let's not delay this miracle. I know the crowd's holding me back. This woman, you know, this miracle uh, stepped in the way here a little bit, but nobody, I don't want anybody to follow me. Come on, let's go get this done. Why? Because there was some words that were spoken, and he said, do not be afraid, only believe. We're going to go get this done. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. He saw a tumult, of, a tumult of those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, uh, why make this big commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. I want you to notice, the, the, the people from the, ruler, from the ruler's house said the child is dead. Don't bother the teacher. Jesus walked in, and what's the very first thing he said? The child is not dead. See, the people that came from the house were really just repeating words of what they saw in the house. They were in the house. They may have seen her die. And they said, she died. She's dead. She doesn't have a pulse. She's dead. She's dead. Oh, is she dead? Oh, I think she's dead. I think the child is dead. She's dead. They, they're going along the way. Oh, how are we going to say that she's dead? They're saying she's dead. She's dead. They're getting this whole thing of death. They come and tell the ruler. And he, Jesus stops it, walks into the house. And the first thing he says is, she's not dead. She's sleeping. <laughs> I believe the Lord is saying that over some of your circumstances right now. It's not dead. What you thought was dead, it's not dead. It's sleeping. Your situation is not dead. The dream that God gave you is not dead. It's sleeping. It's sleeping. Jesus walks in, the first words he says... It's not dead. It's sleeping. Why make this commotion and weep, he says. So they ridiculed him. <laughs> but when he had put them all outside, <laughs> he comes in, he says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And then they ridiculed him. Oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just a teacher. He's just this. So the Bible says, so Jesus put him out. <laughs> he just took them all, put them all outside. Hey, get these guys out of here. Get these guys out of here. They're looking in the natural, but Jesus is seeing something in the supernatural, in the spiritual. The Bible says he put them all outside, and he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, 
and he entered where the child was lying, maybe into the room. Then he took the child by the hand, and he said, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Notice he didn't walk in and say, how long has she been dead? Did you check, did you check to see? I've got to find all the results so I know how to pray. No, Jesus already knew how to pray. He went and laid hands on her. And notice he didn't say, Father, I pray. What did he do? He spoke to her. He said, little girl. He spoke to what people saw as a dead thing. And he said, arise. See, Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, right? And then he went on and said, and if you have faith, you can say to the mountain, not even in prayer, to the mountain, be removed. Can I tell you, we have spiritual authority with our words. And sometimes we think that an observation or that commentary about our situation is helping us to know how to pray. And I don't think it is. I think that we need to dwell on what God's word is and what God's will is. I'm not saying that we need to deny that, we, that the circumstance exists. But I'm saying we need to say the circumstance is sleeping. It's not dead. It's sleeping. It's not dead. So he looks to her, he looks to her and he says, little girl, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked for she was 12 years of age and they were overcome with great amazement but he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and then said man go get her something to eat i kind of like that not not the not just the eat part but the i kind of like that too okay i don't know about too close to lunch you say when am i gonna get something to eat no listen is what he was saying was i'm not just raising her from the dead so that you can see i did a miracle and be impressed like oh that's good no he said go give her something to eat so she can keep living why? Because I care about this father. Go give her something to eat, he says. Do not be afraid. Let's say it again. Do not be afraid. Is that a commandment or a suggestion? A commandment. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do you know Jesus commanded us not to be afraid? Sometimes we think, well, just, I, I, just a little bit of fear. No. Do not be afraid. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Is that a commandment or a suggestion? <laughs> do not be afraid. Do not worry about your life. Jesus wouldn't tell you to do something unless you were capable of doing it. I've heard people say to me when I said, don't be afraid, and they've said, well, I can't, I can't help but, but worry. I can't help but fear. So then I'll say, would Jesus ask you to do something that you were incapable of doing? Right? So if Jesus said, don't be afraid, are you able to not be afraid? Yeah. yeah. Don't be afraid. I'm okay. Don't be afraid. Last week, there was this thunder and lightning in this Southern California boy. Uh, I'd never seen anything like that. I'm like, oh, man, what's happening? This guy is falling, you know? It's big, big thunder and lightning. And so, but, but I, you know, I'm used to it. I'm used to it now. So we opened up the, the, uh, the, the, the curtains. And I'm laying there in bed about to go to sleep on Saturday night, I think it was. My daughter walks into the room and she goes, Daddy, I'm afraid. Daddy, I'm afraid. And I said, why are you afraid? All the thunder and all the lightning. Daddy, I'm afraid. And I said, oh, baby, come here. Came and just 
put her right here in my arms. I said, don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Okay, Daddy. She just put her hand, head right here. Okay, Daddy. Fell asleep. Wasn't afraid anymore. I think the Lord's saying that to people in here today. Don't be afraid. The child's not dead. <laughs> Sleeping. He's going to wake. Do not be afraid. It's a commandment. Do not be afraid. And then in Matthew 6, 31, just a few verses down, he says, Therefore, do not worry, saying. Do not worry, saying. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Worry likes to speak. Do not worry, saying. Do not worry, saying. Worry likes to speak. You can tell what you believe by what you're saying. <laughs> you can tell what you believe by what you're saying. I love in the King James Version, it says, take no thought. Take no thought. Take no thought. Take no thought for tomorrow. Take no thought about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Take no thought. Uh, when you're worrying about something, you're taking other thoughts than the thoughts of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Can I tell you, if you have thoughts that are contrary to God's thoughts, you have to captivate those thoughts and bring them in and not fear. How do you do it? One way, one of the best ways to do it is to say, I do not fear. I will not fear. God has not given me a spirit of fear. You bring those thoughts in by speaking those thoughts, uh, speaking what God says out. God never wants us to be in fear. I want us to say that out loud. Come on. God never wants us to be in fear. Say it one more time. God never wants us to be in fear. Fear is a spirit. And it's a spirit that's not from God. Let me say it again. Fear is a spirit. If you're dealing with fear, you're not just dealing with, well, it's because of this, it's because of that. No, it's because it's a spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us, let's say it out loud, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Say it again. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. One more time. For God has not, that's the wrong scripture up there. Um, I see you looking at the screens and saying something else. You're, you're good. You're good. I think it's on your sheets. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What spirit has God given us? Power, love, sound mind. What spirit has God not given us? Fear. What spirit has God given us? Power, love, and of a sound mind. So if you have thoughts that are coming to you of power, of love, and of a sound mind, they're from? But if you have fear coming at you, they're, who are they not from? So when you have things that are coming to you that are not from God, what should you do? Resist them. Resist them. Push them back. They're an enemy. They're your enemy. They're your family's enemy. They're your destiny's enemy. They're your freedom's enemy. Speak them. Say, no, I resist fear in Jesus' name. There are times, I'm telling you, because this church launch of Memphis Tabernacle, knowing all that God's going to do, I can't tell you how many times the enemy has come against me personally, aside from anyone else. 
But you know I never speak those things out. Do you know why? Because I, re I resist them. They're just like water off a duck's back. Thoughts of fear will come in, and you know what I'll say? I say it out loud. I resist fear in Jesus' name. <laughs> and guess what happens to fear? Sometimes it just stays around to see if it can hang around. I say, no, I resist fear. I resist fear in the name of Jesus. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind, and I just smile by faith. <laughs> People say, how's it going? It's going great. You doing well? I'm doing great. Do you have any fear? I have no fear. Why? Because I resist fear. Fear is not a part of me. Amen. And, and, and you need to do the same thing in areas of your life. You need to do the same thing. That God's given you a promise. God's given you something. And you need to resist the circumstance that say contrary, that are contrary to that. Bringing every thought into captivity. God will not God want, never wants us to be in fear. Fear is a spirit. Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Let me tell you, church, slaves live in fear. Why? Because they're not in their master's family. Because they're, they're people that get told what to do. And listen what he says. He says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the spirit you received brought, uh, brought about your adoption to sonship. Let's say sonship. Yeah. We don't need to be afraid. We're not slaves. We have sonship. God brings peace. God doesn't bring fear. Romans chapter 3 verse 3 says, For what if some did not believe? Listen. Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Let's say it. Certainly not. Let God be true and every man a liar. <laughs> Let God be true in our circumstances a liar. Someone needs to tell fear where to go. Someone needs to tell fear where to go. Fear comes and hits you. You say, I resist you. You get out of here in Jesus' name. Go back to hell where you belong, in Jesus' name. That's where fear belongs. But fear doesn't belong to sons and to daughters of God. Can somebody say amen? amen? If you know the Lord and if you feel okay about doing it, would you just stop and thank God just for that right there? Thank you, Jesus, that I don't have a spirit of fear. Come on, let's do it. Thank you, Lord, that we have a spirit of power. We have a spirit of love, and we have a spirit of a sound mind. God, and I resist every person in here that's dealing with a spirit of fear, we say, go in Jesus' name. Be free from fear right now in the name of Jesus. Fear that would hold you back from your calling. Fear that would hold you back from the God plan over your life. I resist you right now in Jesus' name. Fear be gone in Jesus' name. <laughs> Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it, Lord. Let God be true and every man a liar. Number two, he says, do not be afraid is number one. Number two is only believe. Say, only believe. This week, I woke up, and I usually do not, uh, in fact, I knew I was going to, uh, I had it already laid out that I was going to speak on do not be afraid. And, uh, and then I was talking with somebody, and I was telling them about the importance of not walking in fear. And uh, I was just sharing some things in the Word. 
Well, the next morning I went to bed and, you know, I haven't been dealing with fear. I mean, at all. I haven't been dealing with fear. I woke up early morning, probably about 4.45. I think it was Tuesday morning, maybe Wednesday morning. And I just had anxiety. Anybody know what I mean? I just had anxiety. I was anxious, but not in a good way. I was afraid something was wrong. Woke up. Actually, I woke up a little bit earlier. Tried to make myself go back to sleep, but I had anxiety. I woke up. It's about 4.45, and I said, well, it's almost you know, time to get up to pray, but it's not yet, so I'm just going to lay in bed. And I laid in bed, and I just prayed in the Spirit for a little while, just prayed to the Lord a little bit. And I said, Lord, there's anxiety coming over me. Why is anxiety coming over me? I knew it was spiritual. I knew it was demonic. I knew it was something that the enemy was coming against me. So I just said, well, I'm just going to get up. And I got up and I walked downstairs. And this scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, came to my heart. I knew it was the Lord speaking it to me through his word. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. Uh, out of the New Living Translation, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And I realized that I hadn't been praying about some of the things that were on my mind, like I normally would. Now, I've been praying. I just haven't been praying about some of those things. I've been almost saying, God, I'm praying about these things, but these things over here, I think I already got some answers for. <laughs> Anybody ever felt that way? I think, I, I think I'm good with these things, but these things, Lord. And so I pulled out a, a piece of paper, or I pulled out, you know, my journal, and I just began to pray, and I began to walk around the house for some, you know, almost five in the morning, began to walk around my house and just pray, pray, pray. And I said, well, I'm going to just start listing the things. Uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So, Lord, I come to you, and I pray for these things. And I said, here's the first thing that comes to mind, and I wrote it down. Number one, and I wrote number two, this, number three, this, number four, this. And I got up to 19 things just that quick, that were within about three, three minutes, as quick as I could write them, I came up with 19 things that I was concerned about and worried about. 19 things. How in the world did I get to, I mean, just right off the top of my head, how did I get to 19 things that I was worried about, concerned about, in fear? And the Lord said, those are the things that you need to pray about. I told you don't be anxious about, which one should I have been anxious about? There was 19. None of them. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Notice the, 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 the overwhelming, like, like, you know, what is it? Yeah, the opposite, but like the extremeness. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, pray. So I took every one of those things, and, uh, and I, had, I had two hours, and I prayed for two hours. I took one of those things, took number one and prayed about it until I got an answer. I wrote down the answer. Went to number two, prayed about it until I got the answer. <laughs> wrote it off. Now, I didn't get answers on 19 things, but I got peace about 19 things. I got answers about two or three things, but I got peace on the rest. Why? Because I realized that I have a father who's saying, would you fall and I'll catch you. And I had 19 things that I felt like I was about to fall down and I didn't know if God's hands were there. What happened to me after that was uh, pretty overwhelming because right as soon as I finished prayer and I finished the 19th thing, 
just took a big deep breath and I thank God, praise God. And then this overwhelming, almost as if I, I took, you know, pain medication or some heavy, I mean, came over me. And I was ex- exhausted. And I came to Tiffany and I said, I'm exhausted. She said, what are you exhausted about? I said, the Lord spoke the scripture to me. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. And I realized I wasn't taking 19 things to the Lord. But I gave them to him. And he took them all. I don't have the weight of them anymore. In everything by prayer. So he says here, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, some, someone needs to do that in here. You've been stressing and God says, don't stress, pray. Do not stress, pray. Well, God helps those who help themselves. Not true. It's not in the Bible. Help yourself by praying. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what happens? The peace of God, which passes my understanding, will guard my heart and mind. That's why I just came over this hole and I was completely in peace. In peace. Overwhelming peace. I realized that this was just me. And I'm I'm talking to me as an example because I believe that there's others who have been uh, dealing with this. Have you ever seen something that's wrapped up like this? Maybe like like something that you spin and it wraps up tight and it wraps up and you get it tighter and tighter, and tighter, and tighter. And then we even use the saying where we go, that boy's wound up tight, right? He's uptight, right? And I was wound up tight. And all of a sudden, you get in the presence of the Lord. God just begins to one fold at a time. Put some gap. Let's put a little bit of gap in that. Where you just find yourself looser, and looser, looser, Start feeling relaxed. Start feeling more relaxed. And you just rest in the Lord. See, this is a peace that passes all understanding. What does it do? It guards your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. People are trying to take drugs to assimilate this kind of thing. People are trying to take alcohol to numb the pain, to cause themselves to wind down. But it only works until it wears off. But the peace of God, it works spiritually, translates from the inside out. And there's a peace that's overwhelming that passes all understanding and it guards your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How do you stay and rest in peace? You might say, yeah, I've had that before. I've come and I've gotten the presence of God or I've gotten in rest and peace. How do you stay in the rest and peace? Well, in uh, verse 8, it says, Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of a good report. Listen, if there's any virtue, listen to this. If there's anything praiseworthy. You might have a situation in your life and you know God's working on it. And 99 things about it are bad. But one thing's praiseworthy. He says, put your mind on the thing that's praiseworthy. Put your mind on the, maybe 99 things are not working and one thing may be working. Put your mind on what's working. Think on these things. And what does he say? If you think on these things, the things that you learned and received and heard from me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Meditate on what's good. What do I do if worry comes? Well, you have to know how worry comes in. It comes through your ears, your eyes, and your mouth. You have to know why worry comes. 
Mark chapter 4 says that worry comes, the cares of this world come in to choke the word. They enter in to get God's word out of your heart. Because you've planted God's word in your heart. And cares are trying to choke that word. So that that word doesn't produce a harvest. I want to tell you one more illustration here and then tell you one more scripture. I remember that the house uh, we used to live in, in Anaheim, I had this lemon tree. <laughs> How many people like lemons in here? <laughs> when I was a kid, I thought people who liked lemons were, I mean, my mom liked lemons, and my mom was old. Okay, so I thought, I don't think young people like lemons. You know, and then there's lemonade, and you're like, I love lemons, you know, so. But we had a lemon tree. We planted a sweet lemon tree. What was it called? It was like a, it was a pink, pink, pink lemon. Thank you, baby. Pink lemon tree. It was beautiful. It produced great lemons. We loved it. The only problem is it grew a little bit bigger than we thought was going to grow, and it was kind of, kind of grew into a sort of a window and a little bitty area. And, and I said, I, I want to move that tree. I love that tree so much. It's beautiful. It produces great lemons. I want to put it right at the front entrance where people walk in, like uh, into the house. I just want to put it right in the front of our gate. We had a kind of a white picket fence. And I said, I want to put uh, this lemon tree right there. So I went and told the, the guy, a landscaper guy, I said, hey, uh, could you move that lemon tree? I love that lemon tree. Could you move it? He said, maybe we could just put a different lemon tree there. I said, no, I want that one. That's an anointed lemon tree. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great lemon tree. Could you take that one? He said, but, there, but Mr. David, there are chances. He said, I don't do accents well. He said, Mr. David, there are chances that if we pull this lemon tree up and we put it over here, that it won't survive. I said, what's the chances? He says, 50-50? I said, I'll take it. Pull the lemon tree up. Let's put it up in the front. So he puts the lemon tree up. He buries it. It looks good. And I'm like, whoo, got my, still had the leaves, you know, still got the lemon tree. Can't wait. Lemons are going to, you know, I'm going to walk in every day. I'm going to smell that, those lemons and they're going to walk in lemon, lemon tree. Well, the fruit started falling off that lemon tree. Then the leaves started falling off that lemon tree. And then landscaper knocks on my door. Mr. David, the lemon tree is dead. No, I guess I should have said, no, it's only sleeping. No, no, no. no, I said, I said, well, is there anything you can do about it? He says, you're the other 50%. He said, uh, the lemon tree died. He said, but I can plant you a different lemon tree. I said, I want that lemon tree. He said, there's nothing you can do about it. He said, and he showed me why. He said, it's just dead. It, it won't work. It, 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 it had been going on for a little while. And, uh, the point I want to say about that is Psalm chapter 1, verse 3 says this. But his delights in the law of the Lord, it's actually verse 2. And in his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3 says this. He'll be like a tree, listen, planted by the rivers of water. Planted by the rivers of Who brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. Uh, the lesson is that you can't grow a tree from two spots. A tree doesn't bear fruit from two spots. You can't say, well, I believe God, but I also have to be a realist and believe my circumstance. 
You can't grow a tree from two spots. It's going to die. The Bible says in James chapter 1, a double-minded man's unstable in all of his ways. What is double-minded? He has two minds. He has the mind of the Lord, and he has the mind of his circumstance in himself. Unstable in all of his ways. Let not that man think he'll receive anything from the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, you're asking for wisdom here, but it's really about anything in your life. Your prayers aren't answered because you're having two minds. You have a mind here, and you have a mind here. You're thinking about two different things in your life. I, um, as I'm closing the series, I remember I was driving along and I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, what does it mean to only believe? What does it mean to only believe? And just ever so gently, clearly, he spoke to my heart and he said, son, it means that you have no backup plans. Only believe means you don't have any backup plans. What if it doesn't work? Elijah, mighty prophet, was walking along. Elijah was planting these plows, plowing these plows with his, all of his yoke of oxen. Elijah comes by, doesn't even say anything, just throws his yoke, throws his mantle on Elijah. Elisha. And Elijah, Elisha looks and he feels the call on his life to go follow Elijah. The Bible says he takes these plows off of his oxen he uses them as firewood. He makes a fire. He burns up his oxen. And he says, I'm leaving. Why, did he, why was he burning up his oxen and his plows? Because he was saying, I'm not going back. I don't have a business to go back to. I remember when the Lord said, come to Memphis. People, will, some here will still ask me, so how long are you going to be here for? I said, I have nothing to go back to. I have an awesome family, an awesome church, but I have nothing to go back to. Why? Because in my mind, in my heart, this is the promised land. People say, what if it doesn't work? It can't not work. (laughs) It's already working. God's already building people. God's already revealing himself to people. Amen? That's my testimony. What's your testimony? What is it that God's asking you to take your oxen? Take your yokes, use them as firewood, and move forward with what God's asking you to do. Listen, do not be afraid. Only believe. Bow your heads and close your eyes, would you? Do not be afraid. Only believe. Stop and ask this question to the Lord with me. Just say, Lord, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Would you ask him that? Just for you and yourself, what are you saying to me through this? Show me will, Lord. Show me way, O oh God. Let the peace of God reign over every heart. Let the peace of God reign over every soul. Every troubled mind be submitted to God. No fear, no fear. Fear you have to leave this place. Fear you have to leave every heart. (laughs) Let the presence of God flood every heart today.
speak to us, Lord. Speak to us. Lord. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast. Yeah.